Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Permack. On today's show, New Yorkers push back against Amazon HQ2, and some big changes are coming for the TV industry. But first, The Trump Show, Season 2. I will take the mantle of shutting down. And I'm going to shut it down for border But we believe you shouldn't shut it down. Thank you very much, everybody. If there are two words to best describe the Trump presidency to date, they would probably be chaos and consequence. The chaos, of course, is well known. All the palace intrigue and court fights and Twitter eruptions and framing of foreign allies as enemies and foreign enemies as allies. On the consequence side, Trump got a massive tax cut passed, plus added two Supreme Court justices and eliminated a boatload of regulations, plus, and this is also a consequence, significantly increased the country's political polarization. But what's most remarkable about all of this is that it's come at a time of relative peace and prosperity. Yes, we still have troops fighting wars no one seems to pay much attention to, and there are serious economic disparities affecting everything from housing to health care. But at least compared to the first two years of the past several presidencies, Trump has had a pretty clean slate, including control of Congress. But what's happening now is that that's all about to change. As Axios co-founder and CEO Jim Vandehei wrote this morning on the site, just yesterday, a federal court accepted pleas and testimony that arguably put Trump squarely in the middle of a criminal conspiracy to commit campaign finance fraud. And that doesn't even address Russia or alleged obstruction of justice. He's also about to face a democratically controlled House of Representatives, ballooning federal deficits, and widespread belief that the financial boom times are turning. Basically, he's staring into a pretty unforgiving abyss at the very time he also needs to be kicking off his re-election campaign. We'll go deeper on all of this in 25 seconds with Axios co-founder and CEO Jim Vandehei. But first, this. Every day, about 20 million questions are answered on SurveyMonkey. And those answers help people around the world be better at their jobs, whether they want to improve their customer experience, recruit and retain a stellar workforce, or learn which ideas, products, or campaigns will be a winner. Find out why 98% of the Fortune 500 trust SurveyMonkey. Visit surveymonkey.com slash prorata today. We're joined now by Jim Vandehei. And Jim, let's just start with the news of the day. How serious, in your opinion, is what happened yesterday with Michael Cohen and the National Enquirer? The president's most nervous because he's getting hit from several directions simultaneously. So you have the one investigation uh, where Cohen is obviously a a central figure, which is did he violate campaign finance laws? Uh, People around the president are very nervous uh, about that. You see him on Twitter even today saying there's nothing illegal, nothing uh, to see here. This is all about Cohen, not about me. I would say there's a lot of people around Trump who, who don't share that view. They share that view that if it's proven and then it's verified by others, including maybe the head of the National Enquirer, or, or the president's own chief uh, financial officer, that that could be really problematic if he was directing people to make payments to people that would have told stories that could have hurt his reelection chances. And so that's a, it's a real serious threat. And I think in general, Cohen's a, a real serious threat because there's probably very few people in the world who know more about the details of every aspect of Donald Trump's life. What you're starting to see in some of these indictments is it's not just Cohen who's talking. It's very clear from the breadcrumbs that Mueller's now leaving that there's a lot of corroborating evidence, that there's other people testifying who can validate any allegations that go all the way up to the president. So at this point, we don't know exactly uh, what Donald Trump did, but the sense of nervousness around him, I'd say, is more acute than ever. Perhaps all the investigations that Democrats are promising once they take the gavel in January, how much of that is playing into what at least 
always seems to be the White House's difficulty and Trump's difficulty in getting a new chief of staff in place. I can't stress enough like how, what a chaotic White House this is, like how disorganized it is, how little prior planning goes into to their approach to governing. And so, yes, it complicates it because if you're a, a smart person and you want to be White House chief of staff, which is, you know, one of the top two, three most powerful jobs arguably in the world, you want to know that you have the authority. You want to know that you're not walking into like pure chaos where you don't have authority, where you're going to have to lawyer up and you're not going to be able to actually do your job because the boss doesn't want to give you the authority that it takes to actually run a massive government. And yet there's no doubt that that's complicating it greatly. And it's not just the chief of staff job, by the way. I think when you talk to people who are very clear-eyed, even those who really like Trump internally, they would say that the biggest threat to the country right now isn't necessarily China or North Korea. It's the fact that we have so few super talented people in the slots that you want them in in government. And that when things get hard, that's where you need savvy. That's where you need smarts. That's where you need connections. Democrats coming in, obviously, as I said, there's going to be investigations. It's going to be harder to get legislation passed. Just politically speaking, though, if you're Trump and you're thinking about this, and I think back to the sit down he had with Pelosi and Schumer the other day, does he view it as, hey, now I finally got a foil. Now I've finally got somebody to blame when things go bad. I think he looks at it much more and has, by the way, in probably a more methodical way than people appreciate. He knows he's going to war. I think he knows he's going to be impeached. I think he knows that the Mueller report's going to be way worse than what most people think. And he knows that his saving grace is, can he get 34 Republicans in the Senate to stand by him through thick or thin? Remember, it would take a supermajority of the Senate to remove him from office. And so that's why he spends so much time making sure his base remains hyper-loyal and that those senators remain hyper loyal. And so far, every indicator I see is, yeah, they're still uh, super loyal to him. So it's less they're being a foil because I think he finds the foil frustrating. You remember, very few presidents in history have had it as good as Donald Trump had it during his first two years. Control of the White House, the House, the Senate, the courts, a roaring economy, low joblessness, and basically peace and prosperity, not just here, but synchronized growth globally. Very few times has that ever happened in history. So not to take away any accomplishments that he had, and he had many, getting the Supreme Court justices a big deal, tax cuts big deal, regulatory rollback, not as big a deal, but a big deal. But he did it in the easiest of times. Now he's going into the toughest of times, divided government very hard, economy slipping very hard. On the economy slipping, it seems to me that that becomes central. If you agree and, and believe that he might get impeached by the Democratic House, but he won't get impeached by the Senate, as you said, because he still has kind of that core base of Republican support, elected Republican support. Does 2020 ultimately come down to the economy, kind of the old Carville quote, just because Trump is basically based everything on economic prosperity and he needs that to continue? And, and conversely, the Democrats need that to turn. In normal times, yes. Economic performance is the number one indicator of presidential performance. And a lot of that is pure luck. When do you come in in the economic cycle? I would say we don't live in normal times, uh, as you talk about on your show a lot. And so I, I think it ends up being much more about Trump than even the economy. And yes, some of Trump's popularity is probably tied to the economy. But I have a suspicion that I don't think his base will ever penalize him for a slipping economy. They'll be able to point the finger at divided government or the Fed or whatever else he's going to set up as the foil for that. I do think at the end of the day, this last election was about Trump. 2016 was about Trump. A 2020 will be about Trump. And I think the big definitional moment over the next two years won't necessarily be a joblessness number or a growth number. It's going to be, what does that Mueller report say? Is it so much more devastating than people think? It doesn't trace itself directly and unequivocally to the president. If it does, we are in for, I would say, uh, potentially a constitutional crisis and undoubtedly, I'd say, an even more tumultuous time over the next two years than we had in the previous two. On that absolutely exhausting note, Jim Vandehei, thank you very much for Take joining care. us. 
My final two, right after this. Does your company have empathy for your customers? Does that even matter? 80% of employees who work at companies with a high empathy for customers say they find their job meaningful, but only 40% say the same when their company has low customer empathy. Find out if you're putting your customers first and giving your employees a reason to stay with SurveyMonkey. Visit surveymonkey.com slash prorata today. Now it's time for my final two. And first, there was a raucous New York City Council meeting yesterday over Amazon's decision to locate half of its HQ2 project in the Queens neighborhood of Long Island City, or more specifically, over the incentives that Amazon is getting to locate there. So lots of city councilors had tough questions for Amazon's representatives at the meeting, although the replies were often drowned out by jeers from the peanut gallery. But here's the bottom line. Councillors may want to renegotiate the deal, which was really struck by New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio and New York State Governor Andrew Cuomo, but it's not really up to the councillors. Final say on this goes to a state-level board, and unless the councillors can somehow influence that board's five members to go thumbs down, then Amazon HQ2 and its 25,000 jobs are indeed headed to Queens. And finally, the Federal Communications Commission yesterday voted to revisit rules that prevent the big four TV networks, NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox, from merging. Plus, the FCC also is going to consider rolling back some other regulations designed to prevent media consolidation. So from a Wall Street point of view, this could make 2019 the second straight banner year for media mergers. And from a political point of view, it reflects how the FCC and Trump administration believe the best way to help legacy media compete with big tech companies like Google and Facebook is by deregulating legacy media, not by putting new regulations on tech companies. But we'll have to see in the end if Congress agrees. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Adam Gracia and Tim Shovers, have a great National Violin Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.